Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Um, We are in the middle of a series called Snakes and Ladders. And so every January, we like to take time as a church to talk about mental health. We've done it from different perspectives over the years. Uh, This year in particular, we're considering the idea of mental health from a relational lens, looking at some of the different ways in which the relationships in our lives have an impact upon our mental health. Last week, we were looking at the idea of family. And we asked the question right off the bat, um, who here has conflict to some degree in their family? And everyone's hand went up in the room and it was pretty easy to identify with in the sense that we've all got somebody, something, somebody in our family that makes it a little bit difficult uh, in, in our interactions. It has an impact upon our mental health and how do we move forward in a healthy manner? How do we actually engage in a manner that recognizes the sources of our responses? The internal conflict having an external response and understanding how that, that dynamic plays together. And we looked at James chapter 4 and what James has to say about where those conflicts actually arise within us from a sense of uh, deep insecurity and from a sense of unmet wants and needs and how that can play out in a different Uh, environments, how offense can manifest really easily once we have one set of offenses. One moment of offense takes place for us and then it becomes a trigger for future ones to take place. So if you if you weren't able to join us last week, I would, I would encourage you, if you want to dive into this mental health series with us, you can find that on on our YouTube channel and you can catch up uh, on last week's talk. But this week, uh, we're going to be continuing the conversation. And It's one thing to talk about the relationships that we do have. I think it's another to talk about the relationships that we don't. And the impact that that has upon us. In our current society, more so than perhaps we've ever recognized or even experienced, we are are seeing a deep sense of loneliness overriding our, our culture. In in some sense, it is a forced isolation that has taken place. We're we're not trying to be ignorant of the current realities of of our world. But the experience of loneliness is one that is overwhelming. And, and, it, and it sparks a deep sorrow within us. And so I, I want to always preface uh, these, these talks and these conversations about about our mental health, especially from a church perspective, uh, we are talking about the, the holistic approach that God wants to invite us into to find wisdom and how we can understand the ways in which our lives are impacted by the relationships around us and the impact it has upon our mental health. But we are also advocates of science and of counselors and of taking the intentional time and space that you need for self-reflection 
to be healthy in all aspects of life. But just like we, we talked about this last week, it is almost like breathing in and breathing out. When we breathe in, it is taking the action for ourselves, going to see a counselor, reading a book, having a personal conversation, engaging in conflict. But then to breathe out is a natural response where we need to let go of a little bit of our sense of control, find peace and rest in our relationship with Christ. And that breathe in, breathe out. You can't do both simultaneously, but you need one another. You, you need to breathe in and then you need to breathe out. I don't know if you've ever tried to just breathe in constantly. I, I think I saw this, it's probably like a, a reel or a TikTok or something. Like try breathing in or no, try swallowing like three straight times and you can't actually do it uh, the fourth time. If it like, hurts your body. We're just not, we're not built that way. We got, if you're going to breathe in, you need to breathe out. And so I believe there's a holistic appro approach to our mental health. And so in this idea of loneliness for us, there is the real life experiences that we have where we have been put in these spaces that feel lonely. We have been hurt and rejected and set apart by those that we do not wish that upon anyone else. And it has overwhelmed us and it has been crippling. And I'm so sorry for the realities of life that we have experienced. I do believe, though, that when we consider the idea of loneliness, that sometimes our relationship with being alone makes loneliness even more crippling than a lost relationship. In many sense, I think that we have lost the art of being alone. So we're going we're gonna to look at this. Uh, like, like I mentioned, these past two years have had like a significant impact upon our society. And uh, quick poll, and you can, you can self-diagnose right here, and I'll, I'll, I'll be okay with it, and maybe the counselors in the room will be okay with it as well. Uh, if you could just toss a quick hand up for me. Would you self-identify as an introvert? Toss a hand up. Great. <laughs> And extroverts in the room, do what you like to do. Make it loud and proud. <laughs> and then for those in the room that said, don't put me in a box, you are just, it's fine. Okay? Ambiverts in the room. I, you got a box, okay? Just, you just don't adhere to it. Um, in, in many senses, uh, introverts in our modern culture have been living in an extroverted world their whole life. And now, the, the current reality we find ourselves in, it's now the extroverted's <laughs> turn to live in that world for a little while. Uh, a few years ago, well, not a few years ago, recently, uh, the New York Times did an op-ed, uh, Samantha Edmonds, and she, she named 2020 the year of the introvert. Props to the introverts in the room. I'm not an introvert, uh, but I, I, I appreciate you. We need you. Uh, all, all the introverts hear about shelter in place, they read the description, and they think, wait a minute, that's fine, <laughs> it's already my life, and I'm not trying to make light of a, of a serious situation, but it's just to say that we, we don't normally live in an introverted world. There, there's this book by Suzanne, Suzanne Cain, and it's called Quiet. The Power of Introverts in a World, which talks about this idea of the extroverted ideal 
in the Western culture. That there's this social pressure for all of us to act like extroverts, even if we're not. And there's this like social stigma on those who are introverted or quiet or shy. And she tells a story of how this kind of came about first in the Industrial Revolution. And that before that, most of our ancestors were, were farmers and they spent very long days alone or just with family. And then we moved into cities. And a century ago, we had about that, that shift take place in culture. And we had to adapt to close quarters and strangers and all sorts of stimuli and eating out. And, and it was just a, it was a different environment that the world started to progress towards. And then with the dawn of the information age, we all became salespeople to some degree. We had to learn to sell ourselves at our job, we had to sell our ideas in a business meeting, had to sell our project, or maybe even you're just simply selling a product itself. And these all, all these variables, they kind of conspired together to create what Suzanne Cain, she calls the extroverted ideal. And, and her basic thesis is not just that introverts are important, and we, we, we advocate that that is true, but it's that all of us need quiet and we need to learn how to be alone in order to make an impact. That most breakthroughs, in fact, in science, technology, business innovation, religion, all have, they've all come from people who have Learn what it means to be alone and to be quiet. The problem is, due to the extroverted ideal and Western culture and, and digital media and digital distraction and online streaming and a culture of hurriedness and a pathological busyness that we all carry and how we all operate and how we write ourselves off, it almost feels like there's a virtual conspiracy against the interior life. Against being quiet. Against being alone. And perhaps you've, you've, you have a different opinion on this, but when I consider the idea of being alone or quiet, it doesn't get me particularly excited. And, and th perhaps that's the extrovert in me, that's the social uh, person that I am, that the idea of being alone and quiet does not sound particularly appealing. And maybe it does to you to some degree, but then the question is, how is these moments of being alone and quiet actually beneficial to who we are as human beings? And is it just a selfish restoration, or is it a moment of restoration for response? for interaction, for change. Uh, Pascal, he says that all of humanity's problems arise from our inability to sit quietly in a room alone. I'd like to contend that we don't know how to be alone. And maybe, maybe someone's watching at home later on this week and, and you're sitting on your own. I'm not trying to beat you up over here, but the reality is that the pandemic has kind of forced us into this place. And here's the good news, with all the bad news that I've just shared. Here's the good news. There's no better teacher on how to be alone than Jesus. And we kind of did a church-wide personality test. We now know our introverts and extroverts in the room. The line has been drawn, and the ambiverts say, don't put us in a box. And I'm, I, I don't have a personality test to identify where Jesus kind of sits on the scale of things. 
But this is what I do know. When you look at the life and the ministry of Jesus and his teachings, there is a consistent and intentional action of entering into spaces that are quiet and alone and the opposite of our modern culture, not busy. (laughs) So, in the conversation of loneliness and the reality of the strain that we feel in craving relationship, we're going to look at the life of Jesus and see if we can examine the question, how do I be alone? So let's look at Luke chapter 5, verse 15, and we can put that up on the screen for everyone to read along with. Um, And this is just going to get us rolling here. So it says, yet the news about Jesus spread all the more. So the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now, that word lonely places is one word in Greek. It's the word eremos. And it can be translated as desert, deserted place, solitary place, quiet place, or lonely place. And Luke is telling us that Jesus often withdrew to the eremos to the lonely place to pray. And I find it significant that it says that Jesus withdrew. It's not that Jesus was abandoned. It's not that Jesus was forced. But the fact that Jesus withdrew, Jesus made a choice. And this matters to me because often we don't crave the idea of going to the lonely places. In fact, I think we're often overwhelmed by the idea of being alone because we don't know how to be alone. And in in a practical application of this feeling, it's almost like our relationship between the idea of singleness and being in a relationship. We, we, We don't have an appreciation or we have a craving for being in a relationship because we don't have appreciation for being single. And so for some of you, you might be wondering, like, well, how can you even say that you're married? I, I, I didn't get married till I was 30. And so in a lot of sense, I broke every, like, Christian norm rule. Like, if you go to Trinity, it's like 21, and that's like the baseline that people are like, let's consider, let's consider marriage. And I'm not trying to hate on it. I love you guys. Just saying what it is. Okay? And you're laughing because you know it's true. And, and, and so we've got this like weird understanding of, of singleness that makes us crave relationship. And the problem is we're not trying to elevate one over the other. Both are beautiful and wonderful and necessary in the kingdom of God. And the same can be said for being alone and being in community. One is not better than the other, but one needs the other. So often, we are quick to identify one as lacking in order to elevate the one other as valuable. Why can't we identify the value in both and learn how to be healthy, whole followers of Jesus that engage in 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 a holistic level that actually is beneficial for us as a whole human being on our physical, emotional, and mental health? I think it's possible, and I think it's what we see in the life of Jesus. There's a consistent rhythm that Christ takes in his ministry. He does this. He he goes to a place of retreat, and then he comes back to a place of response. He retreats, and then he responds. He retreats, and he responds. He needs the lonely place to actually be dynamic in the social place. Extroverted, introverted, I, I don't, it doesn't really matter Both are important and valuable. 
We'll talk about singleness next month. This is not the relationship series. But <laughs> if Jesus embraces the lonely places, the question is, why shouldn't we? And Jesus made it a regular part of his life to disengage from social environments, from relationships around him, just to be alone. And here's the key, with God. There's a rhythm that Jesus establishes of retreat and return, retreat and return. Jesus would go back and forth between time with people and a thick web of relationships, interdependence and community and love and service of others. And the life of Jesus was so full of beautiful relationships, but then he would retreat to the top of a mountain. He would retreat into the wilderness. He would retreat to the garden of Gethsemane. Do you hear my heart when I'm saying we need both? And we're so resistant to one that we are actually limiting our ability to reap the fruit and the benefit of the other. You are not going to be able to appreciate the beauty of the relationships in your life if you do not take time to actually engage in quiet relationship with God. It will always leave you feeling like it is lacking. Because in fact, our value system will be incredibly out of joint. I would contend that the heaviness of loneliness in our lives is due to a, a few different things. When, when talking about heaviness, and especially in the church, I think that we can be guilty of going straight to like a BuzzFeed, like this is how to like make friends and influence people. Like it, it's a really easy thing to engage with and how we can talk about being lonely. Like be nice to people, um, call some people on a Thursday, make plans ahead of time. In, in a lot of sense, I feel like we're in, we engage with these things on a pretty consistent basis on how to be friendly. But we don't know how to be alone. We don't, we don't know how to have that quiet space and the heaviness of loneliness that we experience is often because of that, that missing piece. And so there's a couple different areas that I want to look at that I think we'll, we see in the life of Jesus and that will move us forward in our experience of having healthy, lonely places. Almost seems like an uh, oxymoron in the sense of that. But the first one is our, we have an unfair and inaccurate expectation of relationships and of being alone. In Matthew 4, verse 1, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And this is what the, the Gospels reveal, that, that Aramos, that to, to go to the lonely place is actually to have an encounter with, with evil. To have an encounter with what's difficult. To have an encounter with what is incredibly hard. I think that we have a perception like this of alone time. My ties on the beach. Spa day, mass, I don't know, is it called pedicure? Pedicure, something you're doing with your, your feet. I think that thing, it's okay. You know it. Yeah, that's the one, got it. Quiet. Spaces are super chill, super relaxing. And if they're not, well, then we're not doing it right. But in fact, the lonely places, the quiet places, the alone places that Jesus engages with are actually places of battle. 
battle with the mind, in our mind, with evil thoughts. And we can look at Matthew chapter 4, Jesus going to the desert, and we see the temptation of the enemy of all the different ways that Jesus would benefit if he gave himself fully to the temptations of the devil. But here is the challenge that we are invited to when we go into these, these alone places. Is don't simply treat them as, we, we, we need to learn how to differentiate between the discipline of Sabbath and the discipline of solitude. The two very different things. I'm not saying don't go to the spa and relax. Do that. And make it a wonderful place of rest. But that is different than the discipline of solitude, which is meant to develop and foster a relationship with God. And one that actually, and if you're going to develop and foster a relationship with God, it is going to come into conflict with that which is unhealthy in your life. If you're going to come into a place with the presence of God, you best believe that the thoughts in your mind that are evil, that are self-deprecating, that are unhealthy, are going to be brought to the surface as wrong, as something that needs to be put to the side, as something that needs to be expunged from who you are as a person. And sometimes when we feel that conflict, we're like, we're doing the alone stuff wrong. We need to change the way that we think about solitude. Solitude is, in fact, a place where battle will take place within your mind. Jesus, he, he kind of refuses to be drawn into the conversation fully. His, and his weapons of response are weapons of silence and of scripture. In the desert, we face down evil itself in our own mind. And often I believe that our aversion to the desert is a lie meant to prevent us from actually engage, engaging with the necessary hard work of overcoming. We expect it to feel like the Sabbath when in fact we need it to be a place of solitude. We're battling with the content of our mind in our thought life. We battle what Paul calls strongholds in our mind, bastions of lies and narratives that play and replay in our mind, our imagination and our memory, and we fight to bring our flow of thoughts to be in alignment with the mind of Christ, to break off the enemy's bondage and strongholds, and we let the truth of Scripture actually overwhelm us in that place of solitude in a way that perhaps we don't normally do in the everyday rhythms of our life. The other thing I think we see in the life of Jesus when it comes to what it means to actually engage in our lonely places in a healthy way is an idolization of approval and control. How many of us are guilty of actually engaging in a relationship because we feel like that is a relationship that actually just makes me feel really good about myself? Or that, that's a relationship that I'm actually just going to get the most out of. Or I'm going to engage in this relationship because I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that they like me. Here is the hard truth that some of us in the room, including myself, need to hear often. Everyone is not going to like you. <laughs> But so often, we've created this idol of approval 
that we are so constantly saying, I cannot be alone because I need to gain the approval of others to find value for myself. We do not find value in being alone because our value is solely in the approval of others. The idolization of approval comes in a lot of different skins. Because sometimes the idols that we create in our life are actually good things. Job, paycheck, relationship, family. These are all good things. The challenge that we have in our lonely places, the challenge that we have in our spaces of solitude is that when we identify what are the idols, what are the places of approval and of value that we're going to on a consistent basis in our lives, are we going to them to find all that makes us happy and joyful or can we actually engage with them, receive what is good about them and have that not be the source of our joy and our happiness? Now, this is easier said than done. In fact, I would say it is incredibly difficult to not have that be the case. How quickly we are to find our sense of joy and approval and happiness in a relationship with someone else. In success in the workplace. In accomplishment of a life goal. All great things but never going to be the source of satisfaction that is going to help us to survive through the real struggles of life. Again, it's the balance of both. Identify, enjoy, celebrate. Just don't make that your be-all, end-all. In Matthew 26, 36, we see a well-known story from the life of Jesus, and it's right before his uh, journey to the cross, and it talks about the Garden of Gethsemane, and it is the place of encountering his emotions. And this is what we also see in a place, in the lonely place. So let's read this passage together, verse 36. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. The lonely place is the place of encounter with our emotions. And I will speak wholly honestly right here. I think this is part of the reason I sometimes avoid the lonely place. I did a, a Berksman's assessment recently and had someone give me some feedback on what, what were some of the results in relations with my personality and how I lead and different pieces like that. And one of the elements, I can't remember specifically what the name of the category, but the, the feedback that I received was very simply that I have a lot of emotions, that I feel a lot of things, that even if others don't see it, I'm feeling it. And often in these quiet, lonely places, that's when we actually encounter emotion. I feel Jesus in this moment when he's saying, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Have we ever felt that way? As if our soul is so overwhelmed with sorrow. 
Because of a lost relationship, because of a missed opportunity, because of perhaps just the way that we are feeling in the moment, we feel overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And it is not just at a mental level, at a physical level, at emotion. We feel it to our very soul, it seems like. Dealing with overwhelming sense of loneliness is not just born out of spatial isolation. Because we've all dealt with the confusing reality of feeling alone in a room full of people. To be in a conversation and not feel heard. To be acting for someone and not be appreciated. To be in a relationship and not be seen. To experience the realities of being in a room full of people and not feeling apart. There's an experience of isolation that comes from these moments. And I think that's the beauty of Jesus communicating. I am overwhelmed with sorrow. And perhaps you haven't heard this in church often enough. And you've come across a version of Christianity which seems to condemn the idea of not being optimistic or just joyful all the time. Jesus himself was sad. And it is okay to be sad. It's okay to experience sorrow. It doesn't make you lesser. It doesn't make you disqualified to be in a relationship with those around you or with God. It is okay to feel sad. Because the beautiful realization that we see in this moment with Jesus is Jesus is sad and he has the emotional intelligence to make a combination of time alone with God and prayer and close friends and relationships with family a part of his response. But you notice that he does not rush past the sadness to get to the solution. And sometimes that is our avoidance of the lonely places. That we are so scared to feel the sadness that we know is lying beneath the surface. So we rush to the solution when in fact we have left the sadness behind so the solution cannot solve it. So let's keep reading. It says, going a little farther, Jesus fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible... May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus comes to this place, this lonely place, and he comes to it yielding over his illusion of control. Jesus is there to process his emotions before God in his lonely place, his desert, his eremos. And our, our time alone can be an unhealthy space of mind-numbing activities, of, of dependence practices, or simply avoidance. Or our lonely spaces can be an intentional, emotional processing with God. Do you know that God wants to process your emotions with you? God is not afraid of the emotions that you're carrying. In fact, God welcomes the all that you are feeling and invites you to share them with him in relationship, in the lonely places, in the quiet places of our life. We need the quiet places. 
Not just simply to to check a box of spiritual discipline, but because we have emotions that are going to be processed somewhere, some way. So what better place to do that than in the arms of a loving father? One who cares for your very well-being from the tip of your, from the top of your head to the bottom of your toes. I don't know what I was going to say there. We, like Jesus, need to slow down long enough to breathe in and breathe out for all the emotions that have been running away in our minds. Uh, I came across this, this beautiful metaphor, I think, of what emotions, they, they function as. And it's from an individual named Martin Lard. And he says this. He says that emotions are kind of like the weather on top of a mountain of your thoughts and your feelings. They're like the weather. They, they change every hour, every day, every minute, every second. There are good days and there are bad days. There are beautiful sunny skies and there are stormy skies. But below that, is a kind of, but below that kind of tumultuous weather, there is something deeper. Below your thoughts and your feelings is this deep part of you inside your body. Uh, recently, we watched, uh, maybe as many of you, the wonderful Disney Pixar flick, Encanto. Anyone else seen it? Apparently not a crowd favorite. That's okay. <laughs> um, there, there's an individual within, within the story, and all of the members of the family have, have these, these different powers that are associated with the house that, that they share. And one of them she has the ability to influence the weather according to her emotions. And on her wedding day, there's this song that, that they break into because it is a Disney movie. And, uh, and she's talking about all the emotions that she was feeling on that day. Then somebody came and she, they, they said that things are not going to go so well on your wedding day. And the immediate, from the sunshine, the response came to a hurricane a dramatic response of emotion that played into the weather around. And I think it's an interesting analogy of how we actually experience emotions in our everyday life. The the writers of the New Testament, they invite us to consider our spirit. And I think our spirit is that which lies deeper within us, deeper than our emotions. We have emotions and emotions need to be considered and reflected. I have learned this wholeheartedly within marriage because I do not consider my emotions and I needed to learn that I needed to consider it for myself and for my wife. We've got emotions and it's above and it's taking place and it needs to be considered in all that we do. But if that is the driving point of all of our decisions, it has the danger of taking us to a place that is actually not where we desire to go, nor where our spirit wants to be leading us. I believe that our spirit is a place that's much more calm and serene. It's it's living in the abiding and, and abiding in the vine where we're the branch and Jesus is the vine, and we have this this invitation to go into the quiet and to sink below the weather at the top of our mountain, our thoughts and our feelings that are raging around us and through us, and to go into that deep center. What if we were to see our emotions as an invitation to meet God and let the Spirit of God take us down from the storm And into that deep center of our spirit. In fact, to consider this and to do this in a a quiet manner, it's backed up by science. 
uh, Bessel van der Kolk, we have some books out in the foyer after the service if you want to go take a look at them, that are on the topic of mental health. And one of them in particular is called The Body Keeps Score. And it talks about healing from trauma and it notes this. It says that neuroscience research shows that the only way we can change the way we feel is by becoming aware of our inner experience and learning to befriend what is going on inside ourselves. And often what we're going to find in ourselves are things that need to be stripped away. The lonely place can reveal a lot of different things. The, the, the key is that we need to enjoy the different things that we have in our life but not make them that central piece. We've got this aversion to being alone. We see that Jesus consistently goes to that place of retreat and then return. So this is an, a practice that we need to actually adopt in our lives because here's the reality that we will all face. We will all go through seasons where we will be lonely. I cannot provide you a three-step solution on how to never be lonely again. I, I wholeheartedly believe that you will have a good God that wants to be in a relationship with you at all times, but that does not guarantee that the feelings of loneliness will never be present. It's just the reality of being humans in a broken world. What we can do, though, is look at the way of Jesus and look at how Jesus doesn't run from the lonely places but actually engages with them, makes it a regular rhythm for himself and actually makes it a place in which he discovers real relationship with God. There's not an aversion to loneliness. There's not an aversion to the lonely place but there's an engagement with it to discover the presence of God meeting him within it. So when the moments of that lonely feeling comes into play, he's like, I know the truth that I have found in the lonely places. I haven't run from them. I've run to them because I know when I'm running to those lonely places, when I'm making that a regular rhythm, I'm discovering a real relationship with a living God that wants to turn that which feels lonely into that which is beautiful and fruitful and something that is impacting the social and dynamic spaces of our life. God wants you to have the lonely spaces to be with him. It is not simply meant to be a wasted time or space. It is meant to be a discipline of solitude that grows us in our relationship with God. Henry Nouwen, he is a, uh, a Catholic scholar. He, he writes this. He says that solitude is not a private, private therapeutic place. Rather, it is the place of conversation. The place where the old self dies and the new self is born. The place where the emergence of the new man and the new woman occurs. Solitude is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusion of the false self. Solitude is the place of the great struggle against the compulsions of the false self and the encounter with the living God who offers himself as the substance of the new self. Now and would later contend that without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. I have found this past year, year and a half, incredibly challenging, uh, even for just who I am as a person. I love you. 
I love being together. I love conversation and eating together and going through the real nitty-gritty bits of life together. And in many ways, that has felt like it's been robbed for myself and, and for, for yourselves and for us as a church. And in the midst of that, I feel like my personality and my, my desire is often to have vision forward. When you look at our relationship, Adriana, she sees what's coming up next and she looks at all the little details and thank goodness she does. Gets bills paid on time, gets, gets life actually functioning in order. But for myself, I, I, I'm big picture. I want to see expansively in the future. But in, in so many ways, this season has kind of robbed me of that. It feels like almost impossible to see beyond into the future because everything's changing on a day-to-day basis. My, my heart for what the church and what our, our family and what our community could be, it, it remains hopeful and optimistic. But the vision of what it might be, it seems to have gotten blurred in moments and get lost in moments. And that in itself, for me, has been incredibly lonely. And I, and I say this not for, for sympathy's sake, but to help you understand that loneliness is not a one-stop shop. It doesn't just come simply because you feel like there's, no, there's nobody around you. It can be a loss of a value. It can be a loss of, of, of vision. It could be something that is absent in your life that you have been holding on to and that it means far too much in the midst of all that you're doing. If it's a good thing, perhaps, but it isn't meant to be the main thing. And I feel like my life, in many ways, has been exposed for all of the unhealthy attachments I have carried. And I have recognized that I have not engaged with the lonely places that I needed to engage with to make sure that the social spaces were ones that were healthy and meant to be used for the kingdom of God. If you hear anything this morning, there's a lot of different reasons why I think we should engage with moments of solitude in our lonely places. But what I've discovered for myself and what I desire for us to discover as a church is that within the lonely place, May we discover our true source of value and strength and purpose. May it not be the attachments that we carry around us and the idols that we hold before us. Even if they are good things, it does not mean that they are meant to be the ultimate thing. And until we go into these places of solitude and reflection and careful consideration, we will hold them with a higher regard than they deserve. Worship team, could you join me at the front? So as they come to the front, I want to I give you just a, a quick little practical thing to try this week. The idea of engaging in so, the practice of solitude is, it can be very high-minded. It's just this idea of, okay, I should be quiet. What do I do in the quiet? What do I do in the stillness? So there's, there's practices of prayer that we can try, but uh, St. John of the Cross, he says this. He says, our greatest need is to be silent before this great God, for the only language he hears is the silent language of love. 
far too often in our rhythms of prayer, specifically in our spiritual disciplines, we are very talkative. (laughs) And perhaps this week, something that you could try, if you are willing to actually engage in these this practice of solitude, perhaps you could try this, to be a little silent in your moments of spiritual solitude with God. Like, I, like I've said for other things, this is easier said than done. And I feel this wholeheartedly. I struggle with silence. I struggle with focus in the silence. My mind goes everywhere and anywhere. So this is just a little, a little practice that you could perhaps try for yourself. One of the ways that you can do that is just focusing on your breathing. And one of the ways that you can do this uh, alongside your, your element of prayer is it, it's called a breathing prayer. So you pick a specific phrase, something that you want to declare over your life, something out of Scripture. And you breathe and you focus on your breath and you breathe the prayer. So as you're breathing in, you breathe out, Lord, would I experience your love in my life? Breathe in, breathe out, Lord. And you just repeat that same thing over and over. And this this breathing prayer is just a simple way to have a sense of silence, the space that's created in your discipline to hear that which God might be saying to you. Just a little discipline perhaps you can try this week. I think one of the most challenging parts of solitude is just simply the fact that I don't know if we all trust that the God that we're going to meet in the midst of the solitude is the God that we actually want to. That we we don't actually believe deep down that God is good or loving or generous or kind or for me, or real at all. So the idea of solitude feels incredibly meaningless. The one thing that I want to present to you this morning, we looked at the life of Jesus, and we saw, we saw Jesus and his ability to, to grieve with us, to give generously and to love upon us. The most clear picture of who God is, is in the person of Jesus. So if you are wrestling and uncertain of who God is, look to Jesus. There is nothing that, everything that Christ is, is who God is. Everything that Jesus is, is who God is. One and the same. So if we know that Jesus is one who engages in sorrow, I hope that is encouragement to you this week to bring your sorrow to him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for the time together today. We just pray that you would begin to shape us and move us in your image, that we would come to know you in all that we do. For each of us here today that are holding these attachments in our heart, these idols in our lives that are of great value in all that we're doing, we just pray right now that you would give us the strength and the freedom to be released from them in in such a way that we can come forward and discover real relationship with you. 
I just pray for courage this week as, as we might consider these lonely places, this discipline of, of solitude, that we would discover you in the midst of it, that we would come, come up against the real emotions of our life, that it wouldn't just simply be a stillness of, of, of rest that we're searching for, but we would engage with with it with the hope of discovering you knowing that sometimes a battle is on the other side of that that our emotions are going to come towards us and we just trust you that once we discover you in the midst of it that's when the healing begins to take place body soul mind may we discover that holy for for, for those here today that have experienced deep seasons of loneliness I just pray that even as they might consider engaging in these lonely places that they might find your comfort within it that they might find your solace and your nearness. Thank you that you desire so much more than we could ever imagine for ourselves in these spaces. For those here that might not know you and, and not be, they're not sure about what they even think about who you are, oh God. I just pray that, that your presence would meet them where they're at. And that they would just, first of all, feel a deep sense of your love, comforting them in every season they find themselves. Thank you for this place. Thank you for each person here. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.